I believe everyone has a story of their neighbors. Whether we know them well or not, whether we like them or not, some way, somehow we talk about neighbors to others. My family and I lived in three different parsonages for 15 years. When we lived in our first parsonage, Samuel was just a three-year-old baby and Stephen was not born yet, I had a church member who came to mow my lawn during my church office hours. He cut grass, both the parsonage and the church property, a big empty lot right beside the house we lived. It is quite a size to mow. It was too big to be mowed by my humble pushy mower. The church member is the owner of a big farm supply shop. On his trailer, I always found a good fancy mower. It was really good. You know that the mower can spin on the same spot. Sometimes he came to mow when I was home. I saw unloading from his trailer and loading it back took longer than the actual mowing time. It was really fast. And he volunteered for this for many, many years. And also I had a really good neighbor. His front and backyard looked always beautiful. He took care of it very well. No single weed, the maintenance was perfect. And I felt he mowed more often than any other neighbors on the street. And thanks to my neighbor, my grass looks worse because of his yard all the time. Sometimes he mowed my lawn. Actually, he did the empty church property between his house and the parsonage. He did without checking it with me. I had no problem with it. I thanked him whenever I found it. He was a great neighbor. I couldn't pay back to both of them directly. Since then, I pay back to others. I mean, I usually mowed beyond my lawn and removed some of the leaves on my neighbor's yard when I lived in my second and third parsonages. And I thought that's what a good neighbor does. On the day after I moved into a new house last year, I cut my grass. There's no fence between my house and neighbors. I graciously mowed beyond my lawn. When my neighbor rang the doorbell right after I came back from mowing, I expected nice greeting from him, but it was more than that. I was called to follow him to his property line. He showed me where the spring cooler horses are and instructed me not to mow his yard. It was a learning experience. My good intention didn't make a good result. It is complicated to become a good neighbor. We must be a little more careful. Don't misunderstand, he's not a back talking. He's one of my best neighbors. He's very nice to his new neighbor. I know he gave cookies to my dog secretly. The only problem is that his beautiful lawn makes my grass look humble, as it happened long times ago in my first parsonage. Well, last week, I attended Plattwood's online worship at Springfield. Pastor Eby preached from the parable of a good Samaritan. If you missed it, you can go to Plato's website to listen to her message. It helped me to think about who I am in this parable and who my neighbors are. It was the beginning of new sermon series, Summer of Love. This morning's message is part two of this series. And it is also Lilay's sermon from the same passage. We'll focus on the conclusion of this parable itself. Let me read chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel, verse 29. He asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Revite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wound, and having poured oil and wine on them, then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Jesus commanded his followers to do like the Samaritan. Every time I read this story, I feel it is a very powerful message. Jesus is a great teacher and great storyteller. Everyone who hears this story can understand his message. But we all quickly figure out how difficult to practice it in our daily life. We might have a good excuse of why we don't do it, why we can't do it. Think about it. What if you found a man who left injured on the street? The first thing you need to do is call 911 and follow the instruction. As I know, in most cases, you are not allowed to move the person from the place. You can just talk to him and stay with him until the rescue team arrives. Good Samaritan story. It's not a rescue manual or instruction. It is about who our neighbors are. This morning's message is my reflection and testimony prompted by Pastor Evie's sermon. It is one of God's moments. The Spirit of God led me to discard my first sermon draft and prepare a whole new message a day before this preaching. And it is my response to the message I heard from Pastor Evie. From the parable, I found that the meaning of neighbors in Jesus' story is different from what we usually think. To me, neighbors mean people who live right next door and those who live around me. To most of you, the definition of neighbor might not be different. Your neighbors usually look like you. What I mean is that they have the same skin color, speak the same language, and love American sports and have American lifestyle. They probably are Chiefs and, and Royals fan. That's how most of your neighbors look like. Unfortunately, the definition of neighbor in Jesus' story is totally different from our perception. To Jesus, neighbors mean people who are good to others. Good neighbors are people who are kind to those who are different from them socially, economically, religiously, ethnically, and culturally. Jesus challenges our scope of neighborhood. He radically expanded it. So love your neighbor is much more than being nice to people who live your next door. It is more than being kind to those you meet at the grocery store or the neighborhood park. It is much more than mowing your neighbor's yard. Jesus' definition of neighbor is not unique. It is from the spirit of Old Testament. 
It is Jesus' interpretation of what Moses taught his people. In Old Testament especially, Torah, the first five books of Hebrew scripture, we can find hundreds of do and do not commandments. I never counted how many of those commandments we have in the Bible. So I Googled it. It says there are 613 commandments in the law of Moses. I guess ordinary Christians barely remember only 10 of them. We are so lucky to have a great teacher. Jesus summarized them with just two commandments, which even looked like one, love God, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor in Old Testament implicates show your mercy to strangers or sojourners. People of Israel were called to become good neighbors to those foreigners. Why do you think it mattered to Jesus and Israel? What was, why was it so important? The fundamental basis for this commandment is that Israel was sojourner while in Egypt. Therefore, Israel is treated its sojourners with compassion and justice. The Mosaic laws demand both compassion and justice to be guaranteed for the foreigner because God loves sojourners. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves strangers, provide them food and clothing. Our God is a God who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. Do you see why God loves Hebrews? Because they were the strangers. The name Hebrews means literally sojourners or wanderers, the migrants who were nicknamed as Hebrews in ancient Near Eastern world. Those Hebrews, the foreign migrants, refugees, and slaves took God's heart. When they were marginalized and alienated by the part of Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, God didn't leave them alone. God rescued them. God led them out of slavery. And people of Israel are descendants of those rescued. They are the survivors or descendants of survivors. They barely had glorious days in their history, maybe less than 50 or 60 years during the time of King David and Solomon. That was only glorious days they had over a thousand years of history. For a long, long time, they lived as sojourners, survived as nobody in world history. They were the victims of world powers. As we know, history remembers only victors, not victims. We heard about the story of great kings and their conquest. We barely heard about those who were conquered. The uniqueness of stories in the Bible is that it is not the story of heroes. It's not a record of great success. It is a story of nobody in history, but became somebody through their special relationship with God. God sent Moses and rescued them from the hands of Egypt. God guided them to the promised land where they can launch a new way of life. The following stories just have a little bit of success stories. In most parts, we can find they failed again. And I believe the Bible is the only ancient book which deals with the stories of nobody, slaves, and underprivileged, and their failures. 
and all other recordings of ancient Near Eastern world are about their mighty kings, heroes, or their gods. Bible is not a manual book for success. It might be used how to avoid the mistakes and find hope in failures. And it is the faith confession of sojourners who migrated with hope in God. The migration story is continued in New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew said Joseph and Mary moved to Egypt to save the life of the baby Jesus from the hands of King Herod. They were the kind of first century political refugees. The book of Acts witnessed the world mission of Christianity were forced to be launched when the disciples in Jerusalem were persecuted. They were almost kicked out from Jerusalem. They were scattered to the world and the first Christians were sojourners. They migrated and found new places to call home. They built up a new faith community. The book of Acts shows St. Paul found existing Christian communities wherever he went during his mission trips. The history of Israel sounds like the man in the parable. They were people who fell into the hands of robbers, who were stripped, beaten, and left dead. The faith journey of Christians is not that much different. The early church was beaten, killed, and marginalized by the power of Rome. And followers of Jesus are people who believe their true home, eternal homeland, is not on earth. They believe in the invisible kingdom of God. And we believe we belong to there too. It means we are forever sojourners or resident aliens in this world. Most of you have never been called resident aliens, but if you lived in a foreign country, they might call you in that way. When I lived in Korea, I thought the word alien is used only to mean ET, extraterrestrial, in Hollywood movies. I never imagined that I'm gonna be called as an alien by US government when I first came here. I can tell you aliens exist there are lots of aliens on Earth. Now I am a citizen. I am a Korean American, which is my new identity. The word signifies I am both Korean and American, but in real life, many times I am regarded as neither American nor Korean, and it is a destiny of non-European immigrants who live in the United States, who are neither white nor black. I feel I always in the boundary, not a center. And I believe that the destiny of Christians is similar to my situation. If you are a Christian who belongs to God's people, who look for God's will be done on earth, who has the identity as a citizen of God's kingdom, you find that you live in two worlds. It is hard to say you belong to one or the other. That's the destiny of God's people in the world. We don't belong here. America is not God's kingdom. Kingdom of God is invisible. The church is the community of sojourners. I heard this story from my grandfather. He always said, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I have no home on earth. He always said that he was a migrant and refugee. My grandfather was born in North Korea in 1920s. At the time, there was North or South. Korea was one country. He was called to ministry at that time. He became a newly ordained pastor. 
New communist government was founded in northern part of Korea after the Second World War. They persecuted Christians. My grandfather couldn't start his ministry at all. So he and his wife, my grandmother, they crossed the 38th parallel by foot and moved to South Korea in 1947. At that time, my grandmother was pregnant. The baby in her womb was my mother. They settled in South Korea. He became a pastor in a Wesleyan denomination. After his retirement, he moved to California to live close by his son, who married to a Korean-American woman. And my grandparents lived there around 20 years. And then he passed away in 2001. I believe I have his blood, the blood of migrant. United Methodist pastors have to migrate following their church appointments. That's how I got to Plattwoods last year. Let me conclude my message. To be a neighbor, a good neighbor begins with understanding who we are as fellow sojourners of God in the world and accepting others. The Samaritan had that spirit. Even though he had a different ethnic and religious background, he didn't hesitate to help the victim. He became his true neighbor in the time of need, neither the priest nor the Levite did. Jesus commanded us to do like the Samaritan. In Kansas City, there are many ethnic groups, refugees, then actually you think, especially North Kansas City has higher diversity ratio than other areas in Missouri. I heard 100 different languages are used by the families of North Kansas City high school students. I have a Bosnian friend. He's my former neighbor. He moved to US as a refugee in late 1990s when he was a teenager. He witnessed his brother and many other relatives were executed by the hands of Orthodox Christians in his home country, Bosnia. It was one of the most horrific genocide done by the hands of Christians in 20th century. His family were killed because they were Muslims. My friend's name is Byram. I learned a lot about Islam culture from him. I found how, how I was biased and prejudiced to Muslims. My friend Byram is a Caucasian Muslim. I never had a white Muslim friend before. When he lived in Bosnia, he never met any African Muslim or Arabs. He said it was a culture shock to see them in America. He goes to Bosnian Islamic Center. His imam speaks Bosnian when he preaches. My friend says, Somalian Muslims in the neighborhood attends his mosque. Somalians are another refugee group in Kansas City area. And Bosnians graciously open their mosque to them. They have food pantry for their neighbors. One day, my friend gave me a call. It was right after a church shooting in Texas, reported on news. It was time I served my former church. He knew I worried about the safety of the church. This man offered he can come to stay in the church parking lot and watch us during our Sunday worship service. It was an offer I never, ever imagined. He said, 
his Muslim congregation always dealt with that kind of threat. People who drive by them, yell to them, and throw trash into their parking lot. So he knows the feeling very well. He understands what the threat to religious community looks like much better than any other Christians do. Shame on me. I never thought about that when his community was in trouble. At that time, a Muslim community in Kansas was under bomb threat. I felt myself as a Revite or priest of the parable. And my Muslim friend was exactly the good Samaritan man to me. Brandy Molina, our mission director, gonna lead a good Samaritan mission this summer. Della Lamb, which is one of three agencies providing service to refugees in Kansas City area. And Della Lamb is a Methodist agency. They have five refugee families arriving at the end of June. Platwoods has committed to setting up one of the apartments for them, which requires quite a few donations. As I know many of them are already signed up, you may find some opening. June 19th, if you watch this service on June 20, it means yesterday, our youth and children serve at Delalem. On June 26th, there's a refugee simulation experience and a couple of people, a church member, is going to participate in this experience. One last thought. I think through the parable of Good Samaritan, Jesus speaks to us who he is. He was the Good Samaritan. He was a perfect stranger to us before we knew him. Jesus humbly took the risk to save us. He gave his life to pay the price and gave a new life. And it is not because we are like him. Instead, we are totally different from him. But he chose to call us his people, his friends, when we didn't know him, when we even stayed away from him. It is such a blessing to encounter him in our life. If you are one of those who have not encountered Jesus yet, but seeking knowing him, I hope you open your mind right now. Or just help Pledwoods to help you find Jesus together. If you are one who already received Jesus as your Christ, please give your ears to his commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. This summer, you can find an opportunity to love your neighbor with your church. Let us pray. God of love, you are one who saved us when we even didn't know your name. And now you command us to love our neighbors as you do to us. Give us courage and strength to love people who are different from us. Help us to have your wisdom and insight. We can identify their needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.